Well, friends, God calls us to be a faithful presence in the world by leading lives of love for our neighbors through worship, through community, and through calling. And last week we saw that there are two kinds of people. There is the person who trusts in man who becomes like a shrub in the desert, grasping for nutrients but unable to take hold of anything of substance. He withers away. And then there's a man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He's like a tree planted by the water that sends its roots out by the stream and he flourishes. He's not anxious in the year of drought because his leaves always remain green. He does not fear when the heat comes. Brothers and sisters, if you would, lower your eyes to me, with me to the text, and we're going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 12 as you think about what it looks like in our common life together in community. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I'll read it verse 12 and go down through verse 31. If you're willing and able, would you please stand for the reading of God's holy and errant and inspired word. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would, the sense of, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you, Trinity, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating in various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you still a more excellent 
way. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's word stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Please. One of the most difficult, if not delightful, most burdensome and yet perhaps the most beautiful responsibilities that every church has in every age and every context is to reimagine what it looks like to have a faithful presence where they live. It's both difficult and it's a delight. It's difficult because it causes us, the church, to reflect on our own faithfulness to God and our faithfulness to our neighbors. It causes us as a church to have to think about the, um, the intellectual sources, the way that we were educated, the way that we were brought up. It causes us to internally evaluate our lives over against what the gospel hopes to create us to be together. It's difficult, but it's also beautiful, and it's important that we know that. And it's beautiful because of how God has made us, and yet how God intends to yet make us. Of how God has made you, and yet how God intends to make you. And it's in this difficult yet delightful tension that we exist and ask the question as a church, how are we to be a faithful presence in Owasso and in Tulsa in 2018? And to help you go on this journey with me this morning, I want you, I want you to, to go somewhere with me. I want you to imagine a woman. Somewhere between the 2nd and the 16th century. This woman lives in the Mediterranean world. Which means that she could live as far south as North Africa. Or as far north as Scotland. She could live as far east as modern uh, day Iraq. Or she could live as, as far west as modern day Spain. And this woman has the um, uncomfortable necessity about setting out from her place of shelter on an arc of a journey towards some place that held her hopes. And so she wraps herself in a cloth or a cloak or a blanket. And she steps out of her door into the chill of the wind. Can you see her? And as she makes her way across this long arc of a journey, her eyes over the course of her days are scanning the horizon for one thing repeatedly, day in and day out. And do you know what that one thing is? A church. A church. Because from the second to the 16th century, the church was a place that welcomed the struggler and the sojourner and the pilgrim. The church was a place who were glad to see those who were journeying from one distant place to another. And so she may come upon a great cathedral with lights of wisdom. She may come upon a very small parsonage or a very small uh, parish with uh, inside of its doors was the intimacy of warmth. 
She may have come to a monastery who behind its walls was filled, maybe not with light or with the intimacy of a small church, but maybe it would be undoubtedly filled with song. And every church from the 2nd to 16th century had a manual, had a code about how they were to be the faithful presence in their community. And my favorite of these codes or manuals um, is, a, is an old rule in the 6th century called the Benedictine Rule. And I just want to read just a portion of it to you to invite you in to welcome this woman. Here is what their manual says for how to carry out welcoming others. All guests who present themselves are to be welcomed as Christ. Proper honor must be shown to all, especially those who share our faith, and to the pilgrims, even, even to those who don't. The abbot shall pour water on the hands of the guest, and the abbot with the entire community shall wash their feet. Great care and concern are to be shown in receiving poor and the pilgrims, because in them, more particularly, Christ is to be received among us. Now, five centuries before that, in ancient Corinth, Paul spent a year and a half in Corinth. You can read about it in Acts chapter 18, and he set up an outpost for the gospel there. A new church was started. A new church that was to be in this Mediterranean port city, a faithful presence for the world. A faithful presence of the triune God in whose life we are an extension of by our faith in Him. To be the hands and feet of their Savior for that Mediterranean world. And after Paul leaves, he gets a letter. And the letter says that the church has become divided. And among other things, they were divided over which of their favorite preachers they were to listen to. That's chapters 1 to 4 of 1 Corinthians. About sex, that's chapters 5 to 7. About food, chapters 8 to 10. About worship, chapters 11 through 14. And about the resurrection, chapter 15. And community very quickly disintegrated in Corinth as it has in our own age. And so Paul gives this very interesting and provocative analogy of the body of Christ. And he shows us three things. The dynamics of covenant community, the function of covenant community, and the uniqueness of covenant community. And in so doing, he points us as God's people to the larger story of how God is putting a fallen world back together. And for his redeemed people to be his faithful presence in the world, not just for us but also for our neighbors. And it's important that we consider both of those aspects as we think together as a church about the nature of our community. Dynamics of covenant community, the function of covenant community, and the uniqueness of covenant community. First, the dynamics of covenant community. The church was to be a place whose very purpose was to be a light in the darkness, a place of rest for the restless. A presence in the absences of the world. And the first question that you see that Paul brings out in verse 20 is the question of how do we love? How are we to love? There are many parts, yet one body, Paul says. We are to love in concert. He repeats it in verse 20. There are many parts, yet one body. 
he begins with an emphasis on the body, just like a body is not a random collection of parts. So also the church is not a random collection of gathered individuals or of families, but at a part, the part of the covenant people of God is to see how each person makes the church beautiful because they each play a part and we're all different. We're all different. If you came into a church and you just saw like, you saw a bunch of like toes on the ground, you wouldn't say, that's a church? You'd say, that is a bloody murder scene. And if you come into a church and you see everybody buttoned up, looking the same, talking the same, dressing the same, that's not a church. It's on the verge of becoming a murder scene. And as we grow together as a church, we learn more and more what it means to understand each other and our perspectives, even though we may differ. We're centered on one crucial piece of information that we are more broken and sinful than we could ever imagine. And yet, at the very same time, we're more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ because of his work for us than we could ever dare to dream. And you know this. I know this. I mean, you heard about Cesar uh, Sayok. He was the man who, who has been arrested for the pipe bombs this week. You've heard about this. You know uh, that his manager at the pizza shop her name is Deborah Garrigian. I don't know if she's a woman of faith. I don't know what her religious perspective is at all. But she knows this because in the news interview, I heard driving to church this morning. She said, somewhere along the way, something went terribly wrong. Something is terribly wrong with our society, she's saying to this NPR reporter. Somewhere along the way, we got way off track. She knows this by her own experience, and so do you, and so do I. Pittsburgh, this weekend, the massacre in a synagogue. Somewhere along the way, we have lost our way to understand the nature of what it means to be human. And so, Scripture calls us back to think covenantally about our own relationship with the Lord and with one another, not just individually. Notice verse 28. It says, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. You are part of the covenant community together. You are part of the community which is a solemn oath was made, sealed in blood by which God would be faithful to you to make you into something beautiful together. And we have entered into that through our baptism. And you are a part of that body. Kids, this is not your mom and dad's church. This is your church. And you are just as crucial to it as I am or anybody that was up here this morning. The whole idea to, as, of membership in the church is to be self-aware that we all serve together with our different gifts in such a way that Trinity, as just one local expression, witnesses to Christ's faithful presence in the world. That is the dynamic that's at work in covenant community. Second, the function of covenant community. This is not the question of how do we love. This is the question of who do we love and what it means to live with people in both intimacy and delight. And it's very important for us to answer this question, not just for ourselves, but for our neighbors. And it's obvious in Paul's eyes 
that we need each other. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. And this mutual relationship is at the heart of Christian calling. We serve a triune God. He is the very source and anchor of our community life together. Father, Son, and Spirit eternally pouring into each other. And it's only as we take this seriously that we can bear witness to the triune community in Owasso, Tulsa, Claremore, Skytook, in your subdivision. But it's also important for us to think about this not just for us, but also for our neighbors. Because we share an age with our neighbors that is desperate for community. An age which we have, in which we have more capacity to engage with each other. And yet, more than ever before, we are born into fractured homes. We, li- we live in the spaces between community. We wander about in loneliness. And many people die alone. Your neighbors. We live in an epidemic of loneliness. And in response to this loneliness, a friend of mine named Greg Thompson used to be a pastor in Virginia, has helped me think about this so much. Response to our loneliness, there, is, there are two models that have become really popular in the church. And quite frankly, they're parodies of real community. They feel like community, look like community, but they're not. But the two models that many churches follow, and the first model is what we could call individualistic impulse or model. It's an individualistic approach to community. And this may sound like a contradiction in terms to be an individualist who likes community, but it isn't. You know this. I know this. It's real. You see it every day. I have fallen prey to this, and so have you. In this approach, the community is fundamentally, fundamentally an avenue for self-actualization. The community is to be a place whose primary goal is to secure my identity, meet my needs, and to realize my hopes. It's in, other, in other words, it is a place not about others. It's primarily about the self. Do you feel this in your own expressions of community? You have done this. I have done this. We have seen this in churches all the time. It's an individualistic approach to community. There's also another kind of community that's a parody of real community that you see in churches all the time. And this is the tribal approach to community. And this is an approach that's fundamentally about community with people who are like us. Where we can gather together with people who are like us, who are, who, are, who are of the same class or the same race or the same political ideology or maybe even the same very specific theology. And we live in those worlds. And this tribal com- approach to community is tricky because it can really feel like community. But it's a parody. Because it can feel like community as long as you're on the inside. And that's the problem. This tribal approach community of people who are like us are in, but those who are not like us are out. And this tribal approach to community has been the source of so much violence in the world. So much destruction in our own culture and in our own lives. And while it feels like community, it actually corrupts and destroys community. 
And you know that. And so our age is an age in which we as a church have the both the duty and the delight, the burden and also the beautiful task of reimagining what faithful presence looks like in Owasso and in Tulsa in 2018. How are we to be a community of human beings? Not of individuals, not of tribes, but of people who recognize that we work together. The Christian church is supposed to be the place for that. Just like the woman on her journey and the long arc of her journey looking for the church. We are to glow with the warmth of intimacy and delight as we demonstrate this together. How are we to do that? I'm just going to propose two ways for us that I think are implications of what Paul says. The first is that we have got to reestablish our households as schools of love. We have to reestablish our households as schools of love because love is learned. You don't have to teach a baby how to throw his peas, but you have to teach him how to love. Love is learned, and where do we learn how to love? But in the home, together. St. Bernard called the home the school of love. That's where I get the term. It is a place where we are to learn how to love each other and how to be the community together, which is why in your Roots Journal, we have put there daily devotionals for your family to begin to practice. I know it's hard, but it's for us to begin to practice the habit of talking about the gospel together and how we each need each other, husband, wife. And these, these schools of love, they can be homes with families. They can be homes with friends. They can be homes of both. It doesn't matter. But there are to be places where we learn how to be community together so that we learn how to put another person before ourselves, And that happens in the household. And the household is the answer to the individualistic impulse that drives so much of our understanding of community. And fathers, heads up. You've got to help drive that train, conductor. Wives, You have to often drive that train, sister. But you've got to talk about it together. And you've got to push your family to learn what it means to love each other well. Second, not only is our household to not merely be a refuge of love, but to be a a school of love. Second, we we have to, as a church, reprioritize hospitality as essential to our Christian calling in our city. Because the love that we have is not just for ourselves. And because of this, the work of the Christian church in the world is not the work of excluding our neighbors, but of empowering them. I want you to think about how powerful this is in our own age. Even in your own testimony, even in the Steidley's uh, uh, video, they, they came to Trinity because they felt like they were welcomed. I, I mean, I want you to think about the people that come into your own home. Opening that door. Offering that embrace, extending that hand, pulling up that extra chair, setting out that extra place setting at the table, making a little more food for them, filling that glass one more time, pulling out those bed linens, those extra bed linens in your closet, making that bed. That is holy. And one of the greatest expressions the church has the opportunity to exhibit 
in our age today is of hospitality. And I don't mean by hospitality you're entertaining. I don't mean you're pulling out Miss Manners and looking on page 216 on how to properly greet a guest. I'm saying that you are welcoming people just like the church used to welcome that woman on the long arc of her journey between the 2nd and 16th century. Do you do this? Is hospitality a part of your rhythm as a family? Is it a part of our rhythm as a church? And is the expression of that hospitality neither individualistic nor tribalistic? Is it genuinely Christian in the way that we long to wash the feet of those who come? We want them to know us. We want to be known. We know that we are the worst sinner in the room. We're all exhibit A. And therefore, that lowers, it lowers the barrier of entry so that the church can again, with the light of the warmth with which we have as God's people, we can extend it to those who come. Each culture has a deep, deep heartache for the longing for community. The Germans call it Zinkstust. The Koreans call it Kaimung. And the remarkable thing about this longing is that it is insufferable. Nature, nostalgia may placate you for a moment, but it will leave you longing for more. The church you once had that you wish this church could be like, you know what? You're here to make this church beautiful now. The Lord drives us together in community for us to flourish. Even marriage, as beautiful as it is, doesn't meet our inconsolable longing to be known as God intends us to be known. The church comes around marriage and helps fill that out as we learn to be his faithful presence in the world. So much can make us content for a time, but nothing can fill us to the brim. And it says, J.R.R. Tolkien put it, our final joy lies beyond the walls of the world and our ultimate beauty comes not from a lover or a landscape or a poet or even a home, but it comes through them as we demonstrate hospitality to the world. Do you, do you see how we are to function, not as individualistic, not as tribalistic, but as people who welcome, who learn the rare art of learning to love others, and who demonstrate hospitality toward those, especially those who so desperately need it, which is everybody in your subdivision, churched or not? Because the church falls prey to this false sense of community too. Third, the uniqueness of covenant community. The church is the only organization in the world in which there is no pecking order. I am not more important to this church than the youngest child in our membership. We are all essential to it. Case in point, pastors, churches get new pastors all the time. Church is fine. Each of us are indispensable to the church. And each of us need each other. Paul says in verse 22 through 25, On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. For they, there may be no division in the body, but that members may have the same care for each other. There's no pecking order in terms of importance. Verse 28, God has appointed the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, so on and so forth. And then he says, are all apostles... Are all prophets, do all interpret? The answer is no. And you're just as crucial as any of those I've mentioned, Paul says. So it's our job to get out of our chairs and to use our gifts for the sake of the community of our church. 
It is our job to be a place that fosters a school of love in our own homes and in our community at Trinity. And it's a place where we can demonstrate the hospitality to which the Lord has called us to be His faithful presence in the world. So, when you pour an extra cup of coffee for somebody, when you welcome them, when you move over in your seat, that's a holy thing. Will you be the shrub in the desert, or will you be the tree planted by the streams of living water, friends? That's the question over these five weeks together. And Paul invites us to reimagine community through the call of the church to be his faithful presence in the world. And I know this is, this is high-minded stuff on a Sunday morning when we're in a school gym. But this is the stuff of the church. It is our job to reimagine how we can be his faithful presence in your particular calling, as we're going to talk about next week. That will demonstrate its way in very specific ways. We need to begin to think about that together now. It is our responsibility and it is our duty to be the faithful presence in our age today. Not our parents' day, not our great-grandchildren's day, our day. And the Lord has called you and He has had you be born into this beautiful time in our history so that you could demonstrate that faithful presence together with those who are to your right and to your left. The function of biblical community, the dynamics of biblical community, the function of biblical community, and the uniqueness of biblical community is that we are the physical demonstration of the love of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to the world. And it is our both burden and our beautiful duty to be that faithful expression through the way we love and through our hospitality. Because seeing people rest and find joy and hope and healing for which they so ardently long is the stuff of the church. And Christ, of course, himself embodies this dynamic, doesn't he? He didn't regard himself as more important, but he emptied himself. Christ embodies the function of the church. His resistance against the tribalistic approach was an affront to the Romans and the Jews, and it sent him to the cross. But his resistance to the individualistic impulse kept him up there because he loved you. We have both the duty and the delight of extending the, unique, the uniqueness of our covenant community to the world. It is our highest calling as Christians. And our job to grow in community is not just a catchy slogan on a webpage. It is the essence of who we are to be together, and it is perhaps the chief way we will demonstrate to Tulsa and Owasso and the greater northeast Oklahoma area that Christ's faithful presence still exists in the context of the church. So will you have open arms to receive her when she comes, draped in her cloak, feet dirty from the long journey on dusty roads and restless winds? What will it be, Trinity? See your Savior who calls you to be a body that is both beautiful and burdened to extend His glory, strengthened by all that He has done for us to give us everything we need to be His people. Let's pray together. Father, we confess to You that the burden of trying to be an honest community is just that. It is a burden. 
and it causes us to assess our own impulses and to see how we have used the church to accomplish our own hopes rather than be for her, for your glory. And Father, we pray you'll help us as a church to be a school of love and to strengthen families to be schools of love, to strengthen roommates and friends to be schools of love within their own house. And that you would help us to be a church that's hospitable. And in so doing, be your hands and feet in the world. Thank you, Father, that you've given us all we need to do that. Strengthen us, if we do not yet believe, to find that our restless hearts find their safe haven when they find rest finally and at last in you. In Jesus' name, amen.